Hey, 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 hey. Welcome oh. to Griffey's Naptime Podcast. Oh. Mike, I'm going for something like new and exciting, you know what I mean? Are you really doing that? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing it. That's how we're going to start the episode. All right. All right. Ser- I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Check it out. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Griffey's Naptime Podcast. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep doing that voice. I'm Dustin Ryan joining you in Beacon Hill. And Michael Ajetto is also with me, coming from Bellingham. How's it going, Mike? I'm Fat Albert. <laughs> no, I'm Fat Albert. Alright. <laughs> uh, I'm Skinny Mike. Actually, no, no, no. I'm Prison Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so I'm Fat Albert here with Prison Mike. Prison Mike, how was your weekend? Uh, how has your entire last week been since the last time we talked? Uh, I pretty much got drunk from Thursday through Saturday. Yeah, dude, I saw you sending me snaps of you shotgunning beers, and I saw your Snapchat story where you said round three. So you took three shotguns in the course of 10 minutes. Yeah, that's. I bet you were really, really drunk off that. I'm self-medicating. It's a coping mechanism. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Well, let's not make this podcast sad. But hey, speaking of uh, self-medicating, I'm sitting here with my glass of amaretto. Very yeah, good. Cute. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Uh, it's a nice night. And uh, we're going to talk Mariners baseball. <clears throat> but before we do that, of course, as we always do, let's run down division leaders. Starting in the right. national, starting in the National League, going east to west, Washington Nationals, the Chicago Cubs, and the San Francisco Giants. Giants still chilling in first place, goddammit. And in the AL, starting east to west, where the Orioles and the Red Sox are both uh, knotted up in first place. The Cleveland Indians, or the Cleveland Native Americans, pardon me, uh, yeah. are leading the Central and... Unfortunately, as I'm sure we all know, Texas Rangers leading the AL West. Anything you want to say about division standings, Mike? Mostly about the White Sox. Oh, as always, we're big haters of the White Sox here on the show. Yeah. This is uh, Griffey's uh, White Sox for half a season podcast. Wait, he was on the White Sox for half a season? Yeah. Holy shit. That's where he got traded to after the Reds. Holy shit, I didn't know that. He wore number 17. What the fuck? They didn't let him wear 24? He's a icon. Who had 24 that was more know. important than Griffey? Adam Dunn. Just oh, kidding, I made that up. Fuck, I hate but that. But he did wear 3 and 30 with the red, so I huh. I don't know. I, I yeah. honestly never knew that. Well, I mean, I'll add that to the list of reasons why I should hate the White Sox. Right? Right, but uh, we've got a lot to, a lot to talk about on this episode, so let's get right into the Mariners. So last week began with a four-game series against our most hated, passionate rivals, I'm sure you already know this, the San Diego Padres. Oh, how everyone in Seattle hates the San Diego Padres, right? Yeah, the so, fathers. Yeah, so it was one of these weird uh, four-game home-and-away series that MLB has been trying to engineer with uh, rival teams, and apparently our rival team is the Padres. But, it's uh, stupid. It is, it. It's kind of silly. It's pretty. It's a pretty artificial rivalry, but whatever. Out of this four-game series, we got four insane games the series saw a total of 81 runs scored between the two teams which works out to be about 20 runs per game so 10 runs per game per team uh so the mariners left san diego uh, with momentum on their side tied for the division lead with texas going into arlington for an enormous weekend series and things did not go our way uh, we were swept in three games by the texas rangers yeah. And, uh, which left us sitting three games behind first place in the division. 
that was a pretty big bummer. We still look good in the standings. Uh, honestly, the past seven games, not a big deal to me. Me either. But if there is one thing I definitely want to talk about, it's the comeback. And, you know, in sports, you have things titled like the catch and the pass, things like that. I think this might yeah. honestly go down in, Mar- in Mariner's lore as the comeback because it was seriously insane. Well, I mean, it's a possibility. It's from a run differential perspective, this was the biggest comeback in franchise history. So yeah. it was pretty incredible. This game happened when I was at work, and I remember my coworker coming up to me earlier in the night and saying, hey, you want to turn on the Mariners game? It, you know, I think they're playing tonight. And I told her, uh, no, they're getting whooped. I don't think we want to listen to it because it was 12-2. No. And actually, you're not allowed to say her name on the show. I'm going to bleep that. <laughs> can you can you go boop? Yes, I can go boop. Okay, cool. <laughs> I told my coworker that we don't want to play the game because we were losing bad. We were losing 12-2 to at the time, which was, you know, 10 runs. Not worth putting the game on. But uh, while I was on lunch, I listened to the comeback take place, and it was seriously mind-blowing. It seems like every week, even when we do have losses, it, at least every week we've got a crazy win that we can hang our hats on. And this one yeah. was unbelievable. It was so fun just to see everybody chip in the way that they did. Yeah. yeah. And towards the end of the rally, you had guys like Stefan Romero, who I still hate, but he did a good job. Stefan Romero, Stefan Romero. Romero and Sean O'Malley checking in with two enormous hits to put us over the edge in that game. It was, it was really great to see. I still really... Last week, I was defending Seth Romero. This week, I think I hate Seth Romero more than you hate Seth Romero. Yeah, thank you. I'm, it's always nice to see you coming around to my way of thinking, Michael. And hatred. Unfortunately, the the whole week couldn't go that well. The sweep in no. Texas is a big, big bummer. Yeah, it wasn't fun. I think our, our pitching is, is really what, you know, obviously imploded. And overall, I feel like... That's not going to happen often. We have good, good enough pitching to where we're not going to get swept like that a lot. You know, I hate to bring this up, but this sweep reminds me of two years ago when we were in contention for that second wild card spot, and we headed into Toronto for a really big three-game series, and we were swept by them, and we were never able to recover in the standings again after that. And I know it's still early, so I don't want to say, like, abandoned ship just because we had a bad series in Arlington, but it is reminiscent of that. In other Mariners news this past week, we saw James Paxton, uh, who we had mentioned last episode. We saw James Paxton get a start in the place of Felix Hernandez, who's now taking a DL stint uh, with, oh, geez, what was it, Mike? A strained... Uh, right calf strain. Uh, yeah, it was a right calf strain suffered while celebrating uh, Mariners' victory. Uh, obviously, you don't want to see Felix hit the DL for any reason, but luckily, if there is any silver lining in this it's that it was not an arm problem and while legs yeah, still legs still play a part in your delivery i could see him recovering from this to be 100 percent. i think if you could choose uh, a spot on your leg to hurt i think it'd be the calf too. oh yeah totally because i mean you think about a pitcher's mechanics the calf isn't all that important like an achilles or a quad you know that could uh, have some lingering effects but Cav, yeah. Although, if I were to pick a leg, I would pick the left calf instead of the right calf. Right, so. so it's not his planting 
leg, it would be yeah. his landing leg. Anyways, it's a pretty big deal. I, we texted back and forth, forth about this. I would not be all that surprised if this wasn't really an injury that he needed to go to the DL for. Yeah. And I know you disagree. I do disagree. It's not really something I want to get into on the podcast because I think neither of us are going to change one another's minds, but that just didn't make sense to me for the team to make up like a fake reason to put Felix on the DL. I know it seemed like he was about to regress, but he's like a franchise player. He's one of your top stars. And while it seemed like he was about to maybe slip up a lot, he hadn't done it yet. And you can't put somebody on a fake DL stint just because you think they're going to be bad soon. You have to wait until that foot actually drops. I think he hasn't given up the run to have regress, but he has a career low K for nine. He has a career high uh, walks for nine. He has less ground balls, more line drives. Uh, His batted balls are relatively, I don't think, very far off, but uh, his velocity on the fastball is now down 2.0 miles per hour. So I, I would call that regression. Well, yeah, but from the point of view of the franchise, you have to wait until his results, like his actual runs allowed, start to follow those trends. Because no matter how much his peripherals point to the fact that he is going to start allowing more runs, you can't really react until it actually happens. Because right now it's all speculation, you know what I mean? I think he should react. I, I think it's, uh, I mean, I think last season... He kind of went back to the video and, and realized that his mechanics were all fucked up. And after he kind of did some tweaking, he did consider it was better. So I think this is, this is a time for him to kind of get his body ready, look, at, look over his video, his mechanics, look into things, and, and see if there's something that he can fix. But I, I, I would disagree and say that he, he has uh, regressed in pretty much every facet of his game. I think we're just coming from, like, different different definitions of regression. I think what you're talking about is his predictors for regression, whereas the actual regression itself would be in, I mean, some of that stuff is actual regression. Like the case per nine, that is actual regression. But if you want to talk about his velocity or his um, like quality of batted balls against, those are just indicators. And until the- I don't think, I don't think those, I don't think they are indicators. Until they- Ooh, yeah. This might be our first big disagreement on the podcast. We pretty much agree all the time, but this one... If, if balls are getting hit harder than they have in the past, and it's been uh, 63 innings, which is uh, basically a third of the season, I think that's a large enough sample size to say, hey, Felix, he clearly doesn't... He has not looked, I don't think, good in... Uh, I want to say any game that I've watched. He's, he's looked off. His results... If we're not talking runs, if we're not talking ERA, pretty much every statistic will lead you to say Felix has regressed. And the eye test, you know, most people are thinking that it might be the end for him. I don't think that's true, but they might they might think it's, it's the end of Felix. Okay, so let me give you a little compa- comparison and let me know what you think about this. So let's Hi. say a position player, his BAPIP was sky high and his... Like, uh, let's say his stat cast speed off the bat was really low, but he was batting 310 throughout the whole season. Do you think it would make sense for 
the team to come up with a fake injury to get that player a DL stint to figure something out? I think we're talking about a full season of... I, honestly, I just don't feel that's probable. And if it is, we're talking about an Ichiro or a very light-hitting player. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so I think I think that's kind of just missing context. <sighs> it's too hypothetical. Uh, but do you get the comparison I'm trying to make, though? It doesn't make sense. I No matter how bad the peripherals look, it doesn't make sense to actually bench that player. And they're not even just benching him. They're... You think they're coming up with a fake injury to net them some DL time. Maybe not. Before the results might... actually follow. You know what I mean? No matter how bad it looks like they might be, you have to wait until they're actually bad before you take super drastic action like that. Especially Felix, who brings in a bunch of extra money, not even just, like, performance. Oh, who cares about money? Like, uh, this team, cares? because it's I a business, ultimately. Do, but who... Okay, his very last start, he gave up six runs. I know, okay, one start. Ooh. Against the Twins. Okay, great. His replacement, James, pa- James Paxton, gave up eight runs in his first start. And he looks a lot better doing it. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit, like, his stuff. Oh, by the way, real quick, James Paxton brushed, like, 98. So, Jeff Sullivan wrote an article and kind of went back and compared between this year and last year. And uh, James Paxton, he's pretty well known for having kind of really rearing back and throwing over the top. Having a, it's a pretty unique delivery. This year, he's changed to a more three-quarter conventional delivery, and he's throwing harder than ever. He's throwing in the zone more than ever. In his pitch, or in his last game, he, he left some pitches lingering in the middle or up, and he got punished for it. But his control was good. His command was not. But I mean, it's one game. He's been pounding the strike zone in the minor leagues. And back to what I was saying about Jeff Sullivan, I almost forgot. Um, his right arm is, it, he used to really raise it up, and now it's a little more level. So I think it's just a little more natural of emotion. And I think going forward, he's going to see good results from that. Yeah, I agree. This is a good way to transition into talking about James Paxton, which I did want to do. And I would echo pretty much everything you said. He made a mechanical adjustment, and now he hasn't got necessarily the results, but the stuff is there. And so you hope... I mean, any starter that can throw 98 miles per hour has a chance at having a big game every game. Even when his secondary stuff might not be there, even when his command isn't necessarily on point, he can get by on a little bit of raw stuff and his hook is pretty dirty it is and he pitched 3.2 innings he's going forward he's not going to be pitching 3.2 innings he's not going to give up five dingers per nine innings uh he's not going to be giving up what was it eight runs um let's see yeah he gave up eight runs but three earned so there were some shenanigans in in that start but he's 27 years old i feel really good about jim sackman going forward i uh jeff solvin was actually saying he likes him more than ty how a walker that is <laughs> we're so. we're comfortable with Taiwan Walker. We call him Ty. You guys listening, you still have to call him Taiwan. That's Mr. Walker to you, but Mr. Uh, Walker, yeah. yeah, to Mike and I, he's Ty. Yeah, I'm the worst. Um, but right. yeah, no, James Sackman uh, has. I talked about it. I I don't know if it was in the first or second podcast, but he's looked a lot better in the minor leagues, and his ERA was like three point nine seven down there, but. Eh. Yeah, okay, we t- we, we yeah. talked about that last week. But um, I I think he pitched it today, so we should we should see if he's made adjustments from the last time. But I think I think it was a fluke. I think basically everything that's happened in the past seven day days 
has been somewhat fluky, uh, kind of sequencing, uh, etc. But we're getting Marte back today, hopefully, and we're getting Martin back on Friday at the earliest. So losing those two, those two, I think, has affected us a lot. I think as a team, if we can't get over those issues, we don't deserve to be a playoff team. Totally. But we're getting them back. So I think going forward, we're going to see if they can keep up their production, especially Martin at the plate. God, and, I love that guy. Yeah. And, you know, next month we can see if we can, you know, find a better center fielding, uh, uh, number two center fielder. Because uh, Aoki is not is not a good option, I don't feel. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, going into the following months, so long as we can stay in contention, we're definitely going to need a couple pieces to patch up this team around the trade deadline, which we will talk about after this short break. So thank you for joining us on Griffey's Naptime Podcast. Stick with us. I spoke into his eyes, I thought you died Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Griffey's Nighttime Podcast. This is The Bone. (laughs) If you're listening on iTunes, please leave a rating or review. It really helps Dustin and Michael be be seen by other listeners. And also, you can catch them on Stitcher. You can catch them on TuneIn Radio. You can catch them on SoundCloud. And right after doing that, go to Northwest Trucks. Where you can find trucks, trucks, and more trucks. <laughs> this There's isn't no way he knows what any of those things are. This isn't even what Jay Beaner sounds like. All right, welcome back to Griffey's Naptime Podcast. I'm Dustin, one half of the show. Here with Michael, of course, and thank you so much to Jay Buner for coming to my bedroom to record that awesome, uh, that awesome plug. I I really appreciate that. Wasn't it awesome to see uh, Jay here with me, Mike? Yeah, he looks great in person, just as bad as I thought he was. Yeah, his his voice sounds kind of funny on my mic. I don't know what it was, but I don't know. Yeah, I really I appreciate know. it. Mike and I are gonna talk trades. We're gonna talk some preseason trades and get some updates. And we're also going to speculate on potential trade deadline moves, assuming we're still in contention going towards the end of July. Uh, so, Mike, you wanted to bring up some preseason trades? Stuff. Right. Yeah, um, we've talked a lot about how, you know, we really have fleeced teams uh, in our trades thus far. And it's not looking like we have. Wade Miley has not been good. His ERA is sitting at a 5.85, and his peripherals don't really say that he's going to regress towards the mean in the way that we want him to. Um, his dingers are up uh, worse than they've ever been before, so hopefully those will fall, and I, I do expect them to. And, you know, Wade Miley isn't a pitcher who, you know, he's not Felix. He's not going to be striking people out. He's more of a <clears throat> bat-to-ball pitcher. But his numbers, you know, even for that type of pitcher, they're pretty bad. And if you could please just update our listeners uh, and remind us what it was we gave up for Wade Miley. Yeah, we traded um, Rowan Elias and Carson Smith, 
who actually I think just went, I think he just went down with like a torn rotator cuff. We also got Jonathan Aro or Arrow, and um, there was I believe a USF Mariner article that basically said he's. Let me look up the name real quick. He is literally Evan Scribner. He is. He is literally Evan Scribner. He is. Wow. Have it, you ever have you ever seen them both in the same place? Answer that. Holy shit. Mike, we just uncovered something incredible. We just in, uh, discovered identity fraud here on Griffey's right. Time Podcast. I've always wanted this show to eventually do some good in the world, so I'm glad that we can make this revelation. <laughs> to be fair, I've never seen either of them in one place, <laughs> but, but I, think, I think we've uncovered something here. You know, Jonathan Arrow isn't the sexiest prospect, but Rowan F. Elias has been very, very bad in AAA. He's had, I believe, one spot start this season, and he went a couple innings and got destroyed. Currently, his walks per nine is sitting at five. Oof. Five. Uh, in AAA? AAA. Wow, Which that's is- really tough. When you put up those sort of numbers against supposedly inferior hitting in AAA... And that's one of the three true outcomes, too. So you know he's not just getting unlucky. You know that right. he his command is truly all over the place. Uh, okay, so you also had something to say about the Miller-Logan-Morrison for uh, Nathan Carnes, Boog Powell, and Reifenhauser trade, which we talked about last week, but you feel there's been some pertinent information since then. Yeah, Lomo's really picked it up. I think you just said he had two dingers on Sunday or Saturday. Saturday? Uh, Sunday. Yeah. Hit two home runs um, on Sunday. In May, he has hit 166 weighted runs created plus, and again, that just means he's hitting 66% above league average. Uh, his triple slash was 351, 455, 486, which is very good. Very good. Brad Miller's picked it up too. He had a 142 weighted runs created plus, again, uh, 42% above league average. And his triple slash in May was 291, 351, 535. So they've both been really, really good in May. Maybe they're not lost causes like we thought. Right. We'll keep an eye on those guys going forward. But ultimately, I've still been pretty satisfied with Nathan Carnes. Uh, we have yet to see Boo Powell, who is a pretty big piece in that trade. Yeah, and he's, uh, they kind of say, our uh, future center fielder. It's not going to be clear for a long time who came out with a better end of this deal, but it is interesting to see those two players starting to live up to some of their potential, which we knew they were capable of. So we'll see going forward and through the rest of the season if they're able to maintain that. All right, sweet. So since we're talking trades, do you want to talk possible hypothetical trade deadline moves? Now, it's pretty early to be talking about this, but we did promise it last episode, so here it is, our trade deadline hardcore analysis. Mike, uh, I'm going to start you off with one target that I have my eye on, and you let me know what you think about them. Rich Hill is on a one-year contract, and he pitches for Oakland right now, who is currently not in contention and doesn't look like they're going to be in contention at all. So... Oakland will almost definitely be looking to dump him and get some value uh, at the trade deadline. As we talked about already, he has been spectacular. And, I mean, with the struggles of Wade Miley, which you talked about just a few minutes ago, it would really be nice to get somebody to replace him. Even if our starting five in the future, everyone picks it up, 
I think it's really nice to have people waiting in the bullpen, backup plans, etc. Uh, I like the Dal Nuno. I like Mike Montgomery. I wouldn't like to throw them in the rotation. I'm higher on Nuno than I am Montgomery, but don't think they're the best options. I think they're good to fill. Right. Um, Jim Saxon, I feel, is the best option out of the three, but... You know, we don't have any really stable options. Yeah, and with the volatility of pitching, like the volatile nature of pitching, it doesn't help to, or it doesn't hurt to get as many arms as you can and just stash them. If you don't have enough room, then move some of your potential starters to the bullpen, you know? But the only problem is, Oakland is a savvy club, and they're not going to give up a guy like Rich Hill cheaply even though he is old and he doesn't have necessarily the track record they know teams will be willing to pay a pretty penny for a rental on rich hill going into the postseason i think Dakota's smart i don't think he'll give up too much especially i think sooner or later we're gonna have to talk about how we don't have that many resources to obtain people he's not gonna set our franchise back when he came here he talked a lot about how he thinks we can win now but in the future he thinks we can be really good and I don't think he's not Jack Zorinzik he's not going to put our future at stake uh, just for a season where maybe we can win a World Series or maybe we can get to the playoffs because uh, Billy Bean talks about once he gets the team to the playoffs that's, that's all he can do he has no control over if Felix Hernandez shit or uh, Martin breaks his leg etc etc or yeah. you know just have a, have a bad playoffs it's unpredictable um, in those short series what's going to happen in the playoffs, and so if you so try... It doesn't, it doesn't make that much sense to, you know, go all out unless, you know, we're getting the deals. Yeah. Especially now. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I'd I like to go up to Rich Hill, you know, if it's not going to cost Norman a leg. He's 36, he's been really good, but, um, you know, he really doesn't have the body of work, so if we can get him cheap, that'd be great. I would like the entire Yankees bullpen. Oh, they've got, <laughs> okay. Let's just get the entire Yankees bullpen. <laughs> they've got they've got a three headed monster in the bullpen, and I think the best option if we want to trade for any of the three is to go over go after Batances. Yeah, they really. I I don't think they've ever felt he was a closer, even when he was dominating, and they and they had uh, oh former Mariner. I forgot his name. Sean O'Malley. Nope, <laughs> I forgot the name, but they really didn't have an, a stellar option, and he was, you know, striking out 15 people per nine innings. Yeah, he was crazy um, last year. Still good this year, but last year it was ludicrous. Right, and it doesn't make sense for them to keep the trio, especially with what they could get back. They're, they're fourth in the AL East. And, uh, right. and especially in a season where it doesn't look like they're going to be contending, so. Right. Um, they're six and a half games back, they're uh, five games back from the wild card, and they just don't look that great. So I think going after any of the three would be awesome. Just to throw a couple stats out there, uh, Batanzas has a 17.55 K per nine. Wow. And he's actually kind of underperforming if you look at some predictors. Uh, his ERA is 3.04, XFIP is 0.98, and his Sierra which is a new stat that I'm kind of introducing, is 1.05. And Sierra is Teal Interactive ERA. And in my opinion, it's my favorite predictor. It does kind of the same thing as FIP, but it, it's a little more complex. So they both say, you know, he's pitched really well. And, and Sierra, the biggest thing that they talk about or what they get at is how skillful has the player been? 
So I think he makes the be- uh, the most sense out of the three. I think he'd be the cheapest. Andrew Miller is playing really well right now. He's got a 15.97 K per nine, and his ERA and XFIP are both at about 1.2. So you're not going to get you know him for any cheaper there. Yeah. And then there's a role to Chapman, who has a 12.71 K per nine, and his ERA is at 2.38. But I was talking to someone about that, and he does have those domestic violence charges looming. And yeah. this is a franchise that I think, you know, we don't really like to go in that direction, uh, except Milton Bradley way mm. back when. Yeah. So Chapman, maybe not an option. Miller, I think, would be the most costly. Um, so Batantis, I think, would be awesome to get and, and maybe plug into the eighth inning, ninth inning. Yeah, I definitely agree with your analysis there. Uh, that was really good, Mike. Uh, and Arolis Chapman especially, I know his stuff is sexy, and it would be so awesome to have a closer that could throw, you know, in triple digits, like 100, right. brush 102 miles per hour. But I also think in that situation, you'd be wasting a lot of value on name recognition and flashiness when you could, I agree. When you could be getting someone who is of equivalent like ability uh, that right. isn't as much of a big name. So maybe we might be able to save ourselves a piece by going for Batanzas instead of Chapman. Yeah, I agree. And uh, maybe there's a reason that the Yankees don't think that Batanzas can close. Maybe they think he's mentally weak. I don't know. But I would love to happen. Yeah, we could, we could definitely exploit that uh, undervalued aspect from the Yankees. Uh, I do have two more players I would like to bring up and talk about. Carlos okay. Gonzalez, outfielder for the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies don't seem to be in contention this year, and Gonzalez has been one of their cornerstone players over the past four years or so, and so we won't be able to get him cheaply, but his contract is going to be expiring after this season, and uh, we could really use the help in the corner outfield spots uh, Nori Aoki has not been producing at a satisfactory level for a right. for a playoff contending team, and so I would definitely target corner outfield as being a need for our team, unless he's able to pick it up, you know, for the rest of the time we have before the trade deadline. And I would love Carlos Gonzalez to take his spot. Uh, he's just a fun player. He has power. He had a bit of an off season in 2015, but so far in 2016, he's picked it back up to uh, be the old Carlos Gonzalez we know and love. He, he's great on defense. I think uh, when it comes to Colorado players, you kind of have to look at the splits because you right. know, there have been so many players that have done so well in Colorado and then they get traded or they sign with other teams because money is everything and they shit the bed. Uh, yeah, you do, you do have to look at the course field effect for sure. And his splits... At home, he's hitting 28% over league average in a way, 7% over league average. So uh, I think he's going to be a really hot name, and yeah. I think it's just going to cost too much. Too much, yeah, that's what I was afraid of too. And speaking of costing too much, the one other player I did want to bring up was Jonathan Lucroy, who actually won't be a free agent in the 2017 season, but he's got one and a half years left on his contract, basically. Uh, but catcher is definitely a place where we could improve. Chris right. Iannetta hasn't been bad, but to have an all-star caliber catcher could really put this team over the top. But again, yeah. you know, like you said, he definitely won't come cheap, especially not with that full year still left on his contract. But it's something I would 
look into. You know, the Brewers aren't going to be contending, and so I could see them wanting to dump that piece in order to get some prospect value back. With this kind of player, I think this is someone who, if you're acquiring a trade deadline, it makes sense now, and it makes sense later. In the future, exactly, yeah. He's not just a strict rental. He could help us in the future as well. So I'm just about to hit 30 years old and actually about a week. We better, we better wish uh, Jonathan Lucroy a a happy birthday next week. Yeah. Don't forget. uh, I'll put it in my calendar to remind me next week when we record to wish Jonathan Lucroy, a person who doesn't really matter to the Mariners or us before this, before this conversation. But yeah, we'll (laughs) wish him a happy birthday next week. All right. But right now he's on pace for his 2014 season, which was his best season ever. And was a season where he was worth six point one more. Yeah. So uh, if, uh, he's gonna probably. Uh, did you already say how well the Brewers are doing? Well, I didn't say exactly. I said they were doing bad because I don't honestly okay. know off the top of my head how well they're doing, but I'm pretty sure right. they're bad, right? But Luke Roy has always been, you know, uh, one of my for not really much reason one of my like favorite players just because that. Yeah, he's definitely been one of your boys. It, it's hard to, you know, be valuable back there. Oh, yeah. um, being being league average and being a good catcher means you're a hot commodity. And he's a really good pitch framer. He's probably regarded as, like, top three. And offensively, he's, he's pretty damn good. Yeah. He's an everyday catcher. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Chris Sinetta's 33. Jonathan Lucroy's 30. I think in three years, he can be better than Ionetta is in both facets of his game. Yeah. So, uh, I love nothing more than that and he's a really nice dude i don't know if you've ever uh seen the article but his teammates pick on him <laughs> oh really yeah oh that makes him sort of likable you know what i mean right yeah we can bring or him that. in under our wing we'll nurture him we'll be like hey we can be a shoulder to cry on yeah and really quickly while we're talking about catchers and while we're talking about the a's who are bad yeah maybe we can you know bundle something together but uh, Stephen Vogue is someone who kind of came out of nowhere and was really, really hot for a while. And he's really kind of regressed since then because he was playing at such high level. But uh, he's a very capable hitter against righties, and he would probably be someone who would be a good platoon with Ionetta. So I think he's a name to throw out there. He's not spectacular, but he's capable. And I think he could come, you know, not to expensively yeah that's a good call mike everybody i brought up was sort of like a top tier name but i'm not sure how much we're going to be able to afford and so looking at one of those middle guys like Stephen vote that's something that's a little bit more plausible and a little bit more likely to happen so yeah i would love to see Stephen vote come over in the trade if the price is reasonable very likable guy too yeah all right so uh that was some trade talk that was very nice mike and i are going to close out the episode playing a game we both love, the Mariners Dating Game. All right, so let me fill you in on the rules of the Mariners Dating Game. Mike and I will each give the other three contestants who will remain anonymous. We will give a quick biography, and the player will have to pick which one they want to take on a date. Are you ready for this, Michael? I'm ready. All right. Uh, I'll go ahead and start. Okay? Okay. So, contestant number one. He is a Venezuelan heartthrob. Ooh. Yeah, his greatest quality, 
is his perseverance in the face of adversity. Yeah. And his favorite hobby is bug hunting. That's contestant one. How do you feel? I I know who this is. I okay, well don't well don't don't say. <laughs> <laughs> the contestant wishes to remain anonymous. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Contestant number two is a Jackson, Mississippi native. He went to the University of Mississippi and played collegiate quarterback. So, ooh, very strong athletic. Although he was overshadowed ooh. by his much more famous uh, teammate. Uh, uh, his favorite hobby. Mm, I don't know. That would be too much information. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. His favorite hobbies are working in the garage and napping on the couch. This is right. contestant number two. All right. Contestant number three is a spicy Dominican. He's well-traveled, and he's a very mature gentleman. He may not be much to look at, but he has a heart of gold. His likes include adventure, and he's looking to throw a fastball into your heart. That's contestant number three. So, Michael, I'm going to give you a second to digest all that. Uh, let me know which contestant you feel like you'd most like to take on a date. You know what? I think I'm going to go with contestant number one. All right, contestant number one. Can I have a drum roll, please? That was a shitty drum roll. Contestant number one is Franklin, Franklin Gutierrez. Gutierrez. Yes. Yeah, All right, can I guess the other two? Uh, yeah, it was pretty obvious, I think. But besides the last uh, one, contestant number three, you might not get, but yeah. Uh, contestant number two is Nathan Conn. Uh, no, it's not. God damn it. Do you want me to tell okay. you? Quarterback? Yeah. They've told this anecdote on air before, so you might know. Can I tell you who he played with in college? Yeah. Eli Manning. Does that help you at all? That means he's kind of old. Yes, that's uh, true. Uh, okay, just tell me. Seth Smith. I thought that, maybe... What? What? Yeah. Seth Smith was a quarterback? Uh-huh. Yeah. But, I mean, wow. he's a backup quarterback, obviously. Well, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, Bill, I thought... Can you, can you picture him playing football? No. I can barely picture him playing baseball. That's true. Uh, and then number three. Yeah. Do you have a obviously, guess? Obviously... Joaquin Benoit. It is. Oh, that was nice. I didn't think you'd get that. I mean, Dominican, that's pretty obvious. And you knew he was going to be a pitcher because I said the fastball thing. I knew he was going to be ugly, too. <laughs> yeah. You like that? How I said he's ugly? <laughs> that's messed up. <laughs> All right. right. You're calling Joaquin Benoit ugly. Uh, are you ready to take someone on? I'm pretty happy about that, by the way. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I would take Goody on a date for sure. I'd, I I'd show him around town. Yeah, that's all right. Are you ready to take one of these three contestants on a date? Dude, I am so excited. Yes, let's hear it. All right. Behind curtain number one, contestant number one, he is from Falmouth, Massachusetts. Okay. He was drafted in 2007. He's a devout Christian, and he's married. Ooh. He struck out Robinson Cano and Hanley Ramirez on three pitches each in the World Baseball Classic in 2013. Mm. Okay. All right. Moving on. Contestant number two. He is of Italian descent. Hmm. He is 33 years old. He is great on his knees. His walker <laughs> song is We Went by Randy Hauser, which I assume is a terrible song. <laughs> and behind curtain number three. Contestant number three is very, very, very rich. He Ooh. suffered from acid reflux in 2015, so we're basically the same person. He lived in New Jersey for three years and spent his seventh, eighth, and ninth grade years in the Newark school system, and he is the worst number three hitter ever, according to Andy Van Slyke. 
All right. Uh, you know, these are all very tantalizing options. Uh, mm-hmm. There's going to be a tough choice. Also, can I ask where you found these facts? Because I was trying to look up, like, personal facts for my players, and I couldn't find very many at all. Uh, Specifically the acid reflux one. How did you find out contestant number three? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let me pick. Um, I'm definitely going to go with contestant number three, because I'm hoping he can be my sugar daddy. And I'm assuming... All right. Uh, hang on. Go ahead and just tell me who it is. Okay, it's Miguel Olivo. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Robinson Cano. I was going to be so mad at you if that was actually Miguel Olivo. <laughs> I was going to be like, dude, you played also, me. last week, did you take out the part where I said that he beats his wife? Uh, yeah, I did, and I'm going to take it out again. God, okay. Whatever. Uh, can I know uh, who the other two are? I'm going to go ahead and guess. Okay, so the first one... <clears throat> oh, shit. They're a devout Christian. Yeah. The only, like, super devout Christian I can think of is, like, Willie Bloomquist, but obviously he doesn't play anymore. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, it's William, yeah. Uh, who was it? Uh, Steve Shishek. Oh, really? Huh. If you follow him on Twitter, it's pretty clear. He'll post, like, Bible verses, and, uh, he's actually a really good follow. I don't know if you gotcha. follow him. No, but I'm going to now. He'll basically say, uh, you know, tough loss today. Tigger really killed it. I pitched shitty but you know what we'll be all right it's nice to see players talk sort of candidly like that i know it's not the most information on twitter that like they it. cram into 140 characters but it's nice to just hear some words coming out of the player's mouth about how uh, the team has been doing so yeah that's cool yeah uh, all right number two i honestly have no idea who this is oh wait, wait wait yes i do you said they're good on their knees so it's uh is it steve clevenger it's chris oh shit See, I thought you wouldn't pick Ionetta because I thought you would try to be, like, sneaky and do the backup no, catcher. But... but he's clearly better on his knees, which you should have thought of. Mm, silly me. How could I not know that? Yeah, uh, also, Mike... like, bad country music. Yeah, I know. Uh, Mike, where are you going to be taking Goody on your guys' date? Do you have something planned? Well, I kind of think he's the one taking me out. Maybe... Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay. Maybe maybe we'll go to BJ's at South Center. Maybe I'll give him a BJ at South Center. Uh <laughs> Maybe maybe we'll go to Anthony's in Bellingham, where I reside, and, you know, take a nice walk on the on the pier, eat some seafood food. <laughs> seafood food. <laughs> All right. That sounds cute. Uh, while we plan out our double date, uh, it's been a great episode. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. Yeah, no problem. I wish I was with you. <laughs> but That's I creepy. Think, uh, through, the, through the phone uh, is fine. All right. Well, thanks for joining us once again on Nippy's Griff Time Griff Podcast. Time podcast. <laughs> I'm Nippy, and that's Dustin. <laughs> He's Nippy. I'm Dustin. Have a good week.